You're listening to Episode 6 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Episode 6 of Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and support and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is a continued discussion. We have part two of the bilingual child where we look at ways to help your child maintain another language. So we're extending on our conversation where part one, we looked at why a speech pathologist was talking about bilingualism. Anyway, we also covered stages of speech and language development and looked at the patterns of bilingual development. So we talked about different ways that children can be brought up speaking another language. And then we also covered typical characteristics. So things that we see quite often when we're bringing up a child with more than one language or when you're working with children that have another language at home, just getting you confident and assured as to some of those characteristics, what is typical and what is not. So part one was a fantastic episode to give you a foundational understanding. So if you've missed it, you may want to tune into episode five where we look at those fundamental aspects of bilingual language development. So today, what we're going to look at is we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to look at factors that influence learning another language. So one of the last things we talked about last episode was that quite often we can have um, language loss of the home language. So we're going to look at some of the factors that influence that. We're also going to look at ways to motivate your child to speak another language because there is a risk that uh, that motivation does drop. So we're going to look at some really practical strategies and ways that we can encourage that motivation. We're going to also debunk some common myths. There are so many myths out there regarding bilingual language development and bilingual children. So we're going to debunk those common myths and also look at the advantages that come with speaking another language. So for me personally, I spoke Italian at home. That was my first language. And then I learned English very much when I went to school. That was my my major immersion time into learning English. So um, there's so many advantages to having another language. And we're going to talk about that as well. And then I'll also touch on, as a speech pathologist, how do we assess for language difficulties when we are considering a child that does have another language at home? Because very often we do see children coming in a little too late for some um, input um, or later than what is preferred, simply because there's been um, you know not enough understanding as to what a typical bilingual language development is like. And then you want to stick around for some really handy and practical tips for educators to use in a childcare environment. And also you can look at how you can apply them in the home as well. So this episode is really going to help you as a parent get some practical strategies to help that home language maintenance. It doesn't happen by itself. You know, often once kids start school, parents worry their child is losing their fluency in that home language. And the episode's also very helpful for educators and, and, you know, when we've got to advise families with suitable strategies. And it will give you that confidence to understand ways to support a child in your center who does speak another language at home. So to start off the chat about the bilingual child and what factors are influencing their ability to maintain that second language, we've got to consider a few areas here. The first one is the pattern of exposure to each language. So 
be mindful as a parent or educator, be mindful as to the exposure levels that a child has with each language because that's going to determine how much practice they get. So another factor is the opportunities to practice with an experienced speaker of that second language because obviously it's very important to be able to use the language and by listening to a speaker who speaks it quite well, it provides a good model of language and a good avenue for the learner or the child to be able to imitate from that and also to get correction as they need it from the experienced speaker of the second language. Other influencing factors include, you know, how much importance is placed on the home language maintenance. For some families, it's very important that their child does speak that home language at home and for others, it's not really a big deal. Um, So it really comes down to what family goals are. So that can also influence that maintenance of a second language. Also, motivation plays a big part. You know, how motivated is a child to want to speak that second language? What are the factors that are like leading them toward it or away from it. So we need to consider the motivation levels for the child to speak that other language. Other factors include cultural factors and also just the child's general learning ability. So we need to put all those factors together in really just understanding what things might influence how well a child maintains that second language. So how do you teach your child to be bilingual? So we covered the patterns of bilingual language development in part one, where we looked at simultaneous language development, where you're developing two languages before the age of three, sequential bilingual development, where a child is using one language or the home language, and then they learn a second language after the age of three. And then there's also receptive language where a child is understanding and comprehending another language, but they're not speaking it. They're not required to use it. So they're the the main kind of ways that you would teach a child to be bilingual. Two languages from the beginning. So for example, mum speaks Spanish, dad speaks Arabic, and they stick to those languages as much as possible when they're speaking to the child. And I say as much as possible, it's very important for children to understand, you know, which adult is speaking what language. So it's important to be as consistent as possible. It does mean for some parents that there is a bit more work involved. So if you do have mum speaking Spanish and dad speaking Arabic, Obviously, it means that the parents will need to do that extra bit of work in translating to one another anything they've said to the child. So there is that option where two languages are spoken from the beginning. And it may also come from, you know, parents might speak Arabic, grandparents might speak Greek, for example, two languages from the beginning. It could be that there's only one language spoken at home and the other language is supported in the community. So that was my upbringing where we spoke Italian at home and English was supported in the community. That's where I uh, learned English at school. What's really important is that we need to provide lots of opportunities for a child to hear and use both languages. That is really key here. We've got to have opportunities to practice. Like anything, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's the reality. We need opportunities to practice using and hearing both languages. And what studies have shown is that the recommended aim of language exposure is about 30% of waking time. So what's important here is to establish within your family what are 
the goals. Um, so if I use my own personal um, case study, for example, um, I speak Italian, my husband can speak Greek. However, we made a decision that we would speak English with our children and we would have Greek and Italian reinforced via the grandparents. So that was a decision that we made. Um, so it's really about coming together as a family and working out what the goals are and what the preferences are and then sticking to those um, kind of parameters. So what are some ways to motivate your child to speak the minority language? And here I'm going to cover seven ways to motivate your child. And these um, came up in reading the multilingualparenting.com site with Rita Rosenbach. So um, here she talks about seven specific ways. One is habit. So really making it a habit to speak another language or speak the minority language is going to be very important. That becomes the norm. Another way is to create a need. So sometimes kids can get away with, okay, well, mum understands English, so I'm going to use English instead of Italian. And so there's that kind of risk that, you know, they don't need to speak it because mum gets it. So look at ways that you can um, create a need. You know, is it setting up a Skype meeting with relatives in the home country um, where a child has a need to have to communicate in that minority language? Certainly travel is a great way to, um, you know, to encourage the minority language. So traveling back to the home country where there's immersion into the language there and you'll find that the fluency skills of the minority language just skyrocket really fast. I know for myself when, um, in the past when I've gone to Italy, I find, you know, just hearing it constantly, TV, radio, everyone around me, I find my Italian skills just become so much more fluent um, and I'm thinking more so in Italian because I'm immersed in that environment. So if possible, traveling back to the home country is also going to be a big plus. Other ways to do it is giving positive feedback. So motivating your child is all about making it a positive experience to speak that other language. So when they do use the minority language, if they're using it to respond to you um, or if they're looking at books or whatever the, the case may be, give positive feedback. So you may say, hey, it's great that you're um, using your Italian words today. It's great that I'm hearing you reading Italian, you know, whatever the case may be, be specific with your feedback as well and be positive. So they're feeling that it is a good thing. In some cases, another way to motivate is to give an incentive. And that's something that, you know, as a parent, um, you'd need to really understand what motivates your child. Is it an object? Is it, you know, watching something? You know, what is it that's going to motivate your child to give them an incentive to speak that minority language? And of course, you want to be a great role model yourself using the minority language as much as possible. Kids don't get um, confused by you switching languages. Sometimes, you know, parents will say, oh, how do I stick to, you know, the same language when I'm out in the community, I have to switch, etc." Kids are very quick at cottoning on that, you know, at home we speak this language, but when mum's speaking to English speakers, she may speak another language or whatever the community language is. Another great way to motivate your child is to get some books happening. So really get books that are in that home language and get them experiencing words that are 
used differently. So conversational language is a little bit different to what you might find in books. And that way, they're increased exposure to different vocabulary, to grammar, um, to different experiences that might be culturally specific is a great way to really motivate your child to um, get involved in the minority language. And think about activities too that are fun, like for example, Greek dancing. You know, Think of cultural activities that are just going to reinforce some of the cultural values and help them to really feel that they are a part of that minority language, um, you know, traditions, etc. In terms of maintaining bilingual development, the biggest thing, as I've already mentioned, is opportunity. Human interaction has to be the biggest way generally that children learn language. No matter what that language is, it comes down to human interaction. So as tempting as it is to um, just, you know, put on a, a DVD in Spanish and and hope that that's going to do it, look, it complements, but it's really not the be-all and end-all. A child's got to be able to hear and use that minority language. So be very aware of the quantity and the quality of your child's exposure to both languages. So as we've mentioned, cultural events are great. Books are fantastic. Music is another thing that is a wonderful way to keep complementing the culture and the other language. DVDs will help as a complement. Any computer games and things like that, that can help as a complement, but they really are complements. Your focus has got to be on human interaction, your child hearing and using that minority language. So I've stressed that quite a bit already. So I, I think I've driven that point home. One of the things that I did mention in part one was the importance of you know, being consistent with the language that you choose to speak. So if it's the case that um, you know, the grandparents speak Spanish and their English is not so great, please encourage the grandparents to just keep speaking Spanish. It's important that children get a strong model of language um, around them so that they get accuracy of grammar and vocabulary, etc., of a language. It doesn't matter what that language is. So if children can build strong foundations in a language, it's going to help greatly in them then learning another language and building on top of those strong foundation aspects. So what are the myths when we're looking at acquiring another language? So one of the myths is that switching between languages is detrimental and shows confusion. No, that is false. We talked about in part one, code switching can be very typical characteristic. The other myth is that home language prevents learning of the community language. Now, this is also very false. As I've just said, if the home language is strong, if the development is strong, it's followed all the milestones, then we would expect that learning the second language would happen quite rapidly once they have that opportunity to practice and hear and use that second language. Learning a second language is also sometimes mistakenly seen as causing a language delay or exacerbating you know, language difficulties. And this also is not right. So we've just talked about how that is not the case. Another myth is that learning a second language can be learned purely from TV, from music, from books. Absolutely not. We focus on human interaction to learn that second language. Another myth is that we should wait until a child is older before introducing a second language. 
And really, there's no need to wait. Young children and the way their brains are wired, they can learn many languages at once. It all just comes down to their opportunities and exposure to those languages. But there is no need to actually wait until a child's older before introducing a second language. You know, there are cases I've seen where they have, you know, mums who speaks Arabic, dad who speaks Italian, grandparents who speak French, and the kids have been brought up with a lovely level of exposure and opportunity to practice all three languages with those three parties. And now they're adults that that have the gift of speaking those three languages. So there's no need to have to wait for a child to be older to introduce that second language. There are so many advantages with speaking another language and, you know, lots of studies have shown the advantages and often they're in very specific areas. One of them is delayed onset of dementia. And this was some research done by Thomas Back. And another bilingualism advantage is that it enhances a child's working memory. So there's obviously different parts of the brain activated when speaking, you know, more than one language. They've also found another advantage to bilingual speakers is that they are more open-minded and sensitive to others. And this is also potentially contributed to by the exposure to other cultures and that um, understanding of different values within the home and within the community. It just gives them that extra level of empathy and sensitivity. They've also found another advantage of bilingualism is increased problem-solving ability as well as what we call enhanced metalinguistic awareness. So what that basically means is that when you're speaking another language, you have more awareness about language as a system. So that's a fantastic skill to have, particularly when then children have to learn how to read, write and spell. Another advantage is increased cognitive flexibility. It all sounds a bit technical, but basically there's advantages in general reasoning skills, verbal abilities, um, and being able to think outside the square. And of course, an obvious advantage is the career opportunities that it does provide, um, you know, later in life. So there are so many bilingualism advantages that I always encourage that if you're thinking about it, um, please go ahead and, and do it. Get that second language introduced and get those opportunities to practice happening. What we do need to consider when we're looking at communication, I just touched on this a little bit earlier, is that we've got to consider that communication skills fall in two categories. We've got basic interpersonal communication skills, and this is really your everyday language skills of social interaction. So as you can imagine at home, the level of language used, the vocabulary used is very conversational. It's very social. And often when we're learning a second language, we're gaining those basic interpersonal communication skills in those initial couple of years. This kind of communication, it's not very, you know, cognitively demanding. It's very much about what's happening in the here and in the now. So, when we look at even, you know, home language and school language, there's a real difference between the level of language you use at home compared to the formal language you use at school. So that then leads us to the second type of communication skills, which are your academic language proficiency. Again, sounds quite technical, but basically it talks about how language changes when it's um, needed in an academic arena. And it's often gained over the first, you know, five to seven years from starting that second language. And certainly in a school context, it's, 
you know, there isn't as much of the here and now. You're using language for education and for learning. So there needs to be more emphasis on really supporting well that home language. And oftentimes, if you have a child, for example, who is moving from home to school and they are learning the community language once they start school, often there are you know lots of teaching strategies that are needed to help that child to learn that second language. And that's through things like using visuals and gestures, etc., to help the teaching. So just because a child has mastered the basic interpersonal communication skills, it doesn't automatically mean that they're going to master those academic learning proficiencies. So often the difficulties we see in the academic side are going to come through in reading, writing, spelling, science, all those kinds of aspects. So very often people are just not sure whether a language difficulty is caused by learning another language. And as we've said, the difficulty won't be caused by it. If there is an issue with language development, it's going to affect all languages that a child is learning. And that's a really important point to remember. So when people come and see us, speech pathologists, for a speech and language assessment, One of the things we're doing is we're collecting a very detailed case history of what's happening with the child's communication in the home environment, in the preschool or school environment. And this is something that educators that you'd want to be doing as well is get a really clear report from the parents as to how that child's language development is going in the home language. Now, last episode, we talked about Um, communication checklists, which we have on the Chat About Children website from birth to six years. It gives you milestones for receptive and expressive language development. That's the kind of guidelines you want to use to be able to check in with parents on how the language development has gone in the home language. Now, if there are aspects in the home language that aren't developing age appropriately, then we're going to see those same gaps when the child comes to the environment where they're speaking another language. So those same gaps transfer across. So in terms of assessment, we do that detailed case history. We get a really good solid parent report. And then when we're looking at assessment tools, you know, we look at and we consider that some of them are based on children who speak English, but we also will get translation occurring as well to help us understand how the child is traveling in the home language. And we also do a lot of informal assessment tasks and observations to help us get a bigger picture. One of the things that we do consider is looking at a language difference versus a language difficulty or disorder. So an example of language differences would be, you know, if we're looking at, um, you know, the English versus Chinese background, we would expect that if a child is a Chinese speaker at home, that there may be some differences that they come in with. So it could be affecting their vowel sounds. So the vowel length is different in English than to Chinese. We also know there's a common pattern where the last sound of a word is often not pronounced. So we are aware that that is a language difference. And also in languages, there are some sounds that just don't occur in other languages. So for example, in Italian, there's no TH sound. So if you had the name Nathan, that's got a TH in the middle, then an Italian speaker would find that difficult to pronounce and most likely would pronounce it Nathan. So those kinds of differences is what 
we look out for because obviously the home language can influence um, some of the English, you know, grammar or speech sounds. So when we consider that, we don't call that a language difficulty. It's more of a language difference. So moving on to tips for educational staff. I think we've already covered a little bit about, you know, how to ask questions to parents about the home language, use a checklist, consider some of the language differences that might be occurring as well. And also for educational staff and for parents, really observe a child's play skills and their social and interaction skills, because they're the foundations also for learning language. So we want to make sure that those foundation skills are developing appropriately. You also want to check that the child is understanding what's going on and is following routine. And that's really important as well. So a child that has appropriate language development you know, at home and comes into a learning environment such as preschool should really be having a go at understanding what's happening and wanting to participate in the activities that are occurring. What's also important for educational staff is to provide a good model of English, of course. So use natural repetition of words and sentences. Um, you might want to paraphrase often. So if you say, um, you know, I want you to pick up your blue shoes and put them on the table, um, you might want to change that around a little bit. So let's get the blue shoes, pick them up, Let's bring them to the table and put them on top. So here they go on top. So you might be repeating things naturally a couple of times in different ways, showing them as well, using lots of demonstrations, lots of modeling, and also use role playing as well, which is a great way for children to, to learn that second language in the center environment. Also, as you would have heard in my example I just did then, you want to use very simple sentence structures and be aware of whether a child is going through what we call the silent period. So I talked about this in part one, and this is basically where a child may come into uh, the educational environment not speaking the community language, and they might spend some initial months really just trying to understand what's happening and make sense of what's going on in the environment so they're not really speaking too much. They're experiencing a silent period. What to do if a child is going through a silent period is make sure you continue talking even when they don't respond and accept nonverbal responses, like if they shake their head or they nod their head, accept those responses. Make sure you vary your questions, use different questions or ask a question differently and make sure that you're always including you know, the children in small groups with other children. So get them to participate as much as possible as other children are going to be, you know, great role models as well. And the final aspect in terms of tips for educational staff is to encourage parents to support strong development of the home language and culture. So if you have a, a parent that comes to you and they're really worried saying, look, I think I'm going to, you know, start speaking English because we speak English, you know, you speak English at school and I think we're going to stop speaking, for example, Mandarin at home. We're going to start speaking English at home. My advice would be to really encourage the parents to stick to the language they're most fluent in so that they can provide a strong model of language. And that's going to be very important for the child to have that strong model of language so they can build upon that foundation with a new language on top. So um, please do encourage parents to stick to the home language and to encourage cultural activities as well. 
So if you wanted to read further about you know some of the aspects we've talked about today, I do suggest you might have a look at the multilingualparenting.com site uh, where Rita Rosenbach, who's the author of Bringing Up a Bilingual Child, does go into more detail about some of the aspects we've talked about today. And now I hope you have some really super practical ways that you can help your child effectively maintain more than one language and also to reap the rewards that come with speaking more than one language. Of course, should you have any concerns for your child, please do seek advice from your doctor or your relevant health professional. The sooner you um, intervene with any concerns you have, the faster you'll have peace of mind and the faster your child can access any support. Coming up next episode, episode seven, we're talking together with a dietitian. Uh, so a bit of a change of focus. We're going to look at food and the school-aged child. So we're going to look at how food affects children's learning and we're going to discover what some of the best foods are for effective attention and learning and perhaps also look at what foods we might want to avoid packing in our lunch boxes. And having said that, we'll also get some tips on some really tasty and easy lunchbox snacks and also get some after-school snack ideas. So it's going to be a great episode for parents, carers and educators in understanding how the science of food does actually impact in the classroom. Food is ultimately our fuel and it can definitely be a challenge getting the fuel formula right. So be sure to tune in for that next episode. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to subscribe to the Chat About Children podcast and share this episode with family, friends and colleagues. If you did want to have a read further on strategies to maintain one culture whilst living in another, I have that article on my chataboutchildren.com website. And if you haven't already done so, please download that toddler communication checklist from the resources section on the chataboutchildren.com site as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I celebrate you. Take care and chat soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com. Chat